The price that we pay reveals the value we have. The price that we pay reveals the value we have. We've kind of been in this subject matter now for pretty much the entire month of October. And um, it's important to recognize that to everything in life there is a cost, whether intentional or unintentional. And so if there's a cost, that means that we are paying something. That means that you are paying out. And um, sometimes the price that we pay is because we didn't pay initially, so to speak. Um, There are times in life where we have the decision. You have a decision to pay a price. You have a decision, the opportunity to hand over a cost or hand over a value for something. And sometimes the neglect of paying that price or not taking the opportunity to dive in or jump in, jump in will cost us more on the back end than it would have if we would have just paid the price up front. Has anyone been in that situation before? You should have gotten the deal when you had it. See, the rich young ruler didn't know, but Jesus was actually giving him a discount. He was giving him a deal. He was saying, look, there's a price you can pay up front. You know, it's kind of the infomercial, if you will. But the price that the rich young ruler decided to pay, even unintentionally, see, he thought, no, you know, I'll keep my stuff. And he went away sad. He went away sorrowful. But the price that he paid in disobedience far outweighed the price he would have paid in obedience. I'll say that again. The price you pay in disobedience will always outweigh the price that you'll pay in obedience. If you would have just obeyed up front. Yeah, it's going to cost you. Uh, Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Sure, it's not super convenient. Uh, But we have to recognize that there's a cost either way. It's what I like to call the catch to the cost. Cost has a catch. Because you think that you are keeping and therefore adding to. But Jesus is trying to help us recognize. and, And over these last several weeks, we're trying to identify that it's actually worth it. It's a greater deal if you just go ahead and pay it out up front. If you go ahead and buy in uh, whenever you have the opportunity to buy in. And we started with that rich young ruler and he approached Jesus and he said this. How can I have eternal life? And then Jesus, you know, ran him down the laws. And then what did the rich young ruler say? Oh, I have kept. So, so far we've identified from the rich young ruler what he has and what he has kept. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're missing the whole deal. You don't come into the kingdom for what you can get. And you don't come into the kingdom because of what you have kept. You come in the kingdom to become. You come into the kingdom to become something. And so this isn't about what can you get out of this deal. This is about what you can be out of this deal. And then in turn, what can I give away? Amen. See, those disciples, when they responded to Jesus and he said, come follow me, they weren't coming in. Okay, you know, so what's what's the catch? What's the deal? What what, what do you got for me up front? What do I get out of this? And Jesus actually made it very clear. He said, you want to know what you get? Foxes have holes and birds have nests. The son of man is nowhere. You get uncomfortability. That's what you get. And another guy came and said, well, uh, first, let me go and uh, uh, let me go bury my dead father. He says, no, you want, to t- want me to tell you what you get out of this deal? Inconvenience. 
because I'm going to call you to follow me when it's least convenient. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not going to compete with your agenda. He's not going to compete with your will. It's not going to compete with your desire. You're not, you're not going to be able to pin your stuff up against Jesus and Jesus say, well, you know, if that's more important to you. There's no competition here. Jesus says you're all in or you're not in at all. You're all in or you're not in at all. And so we see this pattern through the word of God. I mean, God, you know, he, he can come across pretty strict. We talk about a God of mercy and of God of grace. I heard one man compare it one time. You know, here in America, we've got two different Jesuses. We've got the soft, loving, grace Jesus that pets sheep and plays with kids. Uh, but then, you know, there's the other Jesus that's the righteous judge, right? And um, I heard this one individual, he said, uh, there's a West Coast Jesus and there's an East Coast Jesus. And the, the West Coast Jesus out in California, is he's, you know, the one that's soft and loving and, and easygoing. And then over here on the East Coast, we serve the one that's a little more, you know, a little. But I'm telling you today, there's not one or the other. It's the same Jesus. The same Jesus that makes a demand on your life is the same Jesus that meets the desires of your life when your desires line up with his. See, it's not the fact that he doesn't want you to have desires. He just wants you to have his desires. It's not that he doesn't want you to have your will. He wants you to have your will aligned with his will. See, Jesus in the garden said, uh, not my will. But your will, in essence, what he's saying is, I don't want my will at all. I want my will to become your will. Because he doesn't want you to do it against your will. Well, I guess I'll go to the cross if that's what you want. That was not Jesus' posture. Jesus said, if you want me to go to the cross, then that's all that I desire. That's all that I will. That's all that I want. And this is the type of cost we're identifying this is the type of buying in and investing in that we've got to get a hold of. Because, see, God placed a value and paid a price for you when you weren't worth anything. I mean, we like to say this stuff like, you know, Jesus is our example, but he's our example for all the convenient stuff, right? No, he's our example in all of it. So if God set the example and said, I buy stuff not at what it is worth, but at what it will be, for what it will be worth, then shouldn't we be doing the same thing? But that's where we come in and we say, well, you know, I'll show her love if she, if she shows me love. I'll do the dishes whenever she stops nagging at me. Well, that's not buying in at the level that God bought in at. While you were yet sinners... Christ died for you. That was value. That was cost. It cost him something. So we've got to consistently ask ourselves, for what am I paying the cost at a higher value than what it is currently worth? Are you paying a higher price in your marriage than what it's currently producing? Are you paying a higher price in your job than what it's currently deeming you worth at? Are you giving yourself to your children and are you investing in them at what you want them to be or at what they currently are? This is just a question that we've got to ask because a lot of times we want to determine the value of something. And ultimately, that's what we do. When you pay a price for something, you reveal the value that you have for that thing. You reveal it whether you value it at what they value it at or not. We've used the example before. If I go to a dealership and I want to buy a vehicle, there's already a price tag on there. 
And I know that they've already overpriced it. Right. They've already overvalued it. They set that number so you can talk them down. There's there's no there's no dealership in this town that's going to say, no, that, that's, that's that's rock bottom. That's it. Hard. I, I'm not moving. Have you ever seen OBO when someone's selling something on Craigslist? That means or best offer. Well, thank you for putting that on there, because let me give you my best offer, because my best offer is not your value. I can tell you that right now. No one goes in and says, you asking a hundred bucks or best offer. That's ah, a hundred bucks. I give you a hundred bucks. No, wait, my best offer is going to come in below that. And so then what we do is we transfer that over to the kingdom. And Pastor Earl helped us identify that a lot of times we are bargain shopping with God. We're coming in here negotiating. OK, God, it's going to take that much faith to see that done. But how about this much? Like God's going to come down to our value, like he's going to meet us halfway, like he's going to meet. No, God set the value and he's rock bottom. That's his value. And it's our goal to come up to his and see it the way that he sees it. This this is what we've got to understand. And then last week we saw once again with the uh, disciples in Matthew chapter eight makes me want to preach it again because it did not get recorded. It did not get recorded. I'm sorry. Those of you that were here, you got a good one. If you were not here, you missed a good one. I don't I don't know any other way to put it. Last week's word was incredible. And I'm not boasting on myself. I can't do that. I heard one minister say one time, uh, he said, I remember the first time I preached, I was in this this little little Baptist church. And and uh, you know how people, they always want to encourage you. When you get through with something, especially if it's your first time, because they want they want you to get somewhere. And so sometimes you over encourage a little bit. And so he said, you know, this one gentleman came up to him after church. It was his first time preaching. He said he was like 16 years old. So it was his first time preaching. And uh, this gentleman came up and said, that was a really good word today. And so he's like, well, you know, I got to come up with something, you know, spiritual. I don't want to take all the credit. You know, I don't want to say, oh, thank you. You know, I got to come up with a good spiritual response. So he said, well, 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 thank you, but that was all God. And the, uh, the gentleman responded back to him and said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't all God. It was all God. It wasn't that good. Amen. So my message was not, last week's message was not because of me. It was because God wanted to communicate something to the body. But man, when we recognize we got to get in the boat. The people on the shore are not supposed to get in. The, are, are, you, you're not going to take everybody on the shore in the boat. The multitude came to him on the shore, but his disciples followed him in the boat. So we've got to recognize that there will be a cost. There will be a price to pay. Look at First Samuel chapter 15. I want to highlight one specific passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today. Uh, but I want to look at verse... 22. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You've probably heard this before or, or some rendition of it. In verse 22, it says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Has the Lord as great delight in in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey, to obey is better 
then sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. He goes on to say, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. This is King Saul and and King Saul uh, was made a king, not so much by God, but by man, because uh, up until this point, man had not had the nation of Israel had not had a man made king. God was to be honored as their king, as their supreme in authority. But they began to look around at all these other nations. And believers are still doing it today, looking around, trying to become what's around them rather than changing what's around them. And so these Israelites are looking around them and they say, all these other nations have kings. We want a king. We want a king. And they came to the prophet who was the the mouthpiece of God, the mouth of God speaking to the people. And, And Samuel, the prophet, he actually became, you know, pretty upset about this thing. He said, God, they're asking for they're asking for a man made king, but but you're king and they need to listen to you. They need to listen to me as I'm delivering your word to them. And God says, that's OK. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. But give them what they want. Warn them. Let them know if you get a king, he's going to enslave your your wives and your children. Oh, that's all. We want a king. He's going to oppress you and he's going to be burdensome to you. Oh, no, 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 that's all right, man. We, we want a king. We want a king. And so finally they asked or they got their king in the man of King Saul, who on the outside in the external appearance fit the part. Head and shoulders above everybody else. Good looking, strong. Uh, 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 he, 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 was, he was the man for the job. And so King Saul becomes king, but it doesn't take him very long. And, of course, when you think that he's the first king, it didn't take man very long to fail. You notice that that man short sights this thing pretty quickly. I mean, we get three chapters into the book and we've already eaten fruit off of a tree that we're not supposed to be eating fruit off of. I mean, man ruins things pretty quickly. I mean, even when you look at the New Testament. And the church is born in the book of Acts and and, and we don't get very far into the book of Acts and we start seeing things taking place. I mean, it, it doesn't take us very long. We need Jesus. We need his kingdom in our lives. We need his will and his desires to become our wills and desires because we don't do very good at this thing by ourselves. And so they have this king and King Saul, he starts out good. He starts out right. Good intentions. But just as God warned, he became full of himself, became power happy and and began to do just like Satan did in heaven, began to want to rule independently of God. He began to want to rule outside of what God wanted to do. And so this passage that we're reading, uh, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, Samuel comes to the king comes to king saul and he says here's the word of the lord the word of the lord is you are to utterly destroy the amalekites leave nothing in your way destroy everything destroy every animal destroy every child destroy every human destroy the king himself you're supposed you are to utterly destroy 
the Amalekites, leave nothing behind. And so he goes in and they go to battle and they defeat the Amalekites. Let me tell you something today. Do not uh, uh, do not fall into the trap thinking that a victory in your life is the complete will of God. He got the victory, but there are still areas that we can be disobedient or not align ourselves with and still see things naturally come to pass. They got the victory, but he did not follow the word of God. He did not follow what God had told him. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15 in verse 1, it says, So Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. And look at the next two words. Now therefore... Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. He's, he, he's identifying two positions. He's saying, King Saul, you're in authority. But King Saul, your authority is limited to your ability to submit. I'll say that again. King Saul, you're in, th- you're in authority. The Lord anointed you. He puts you here. He placed you here so you can do it. I love when God confirms that he's the one that puts you there. You don't want to be somewhere God didn't put you. You don't want to try to take on something that God didn't anoint you or assign you to do. So many times we walk around wanting someone else's gift. And while we're desiring someone else's gift, we're wasting our own. We're wasting our anointing because we want someone else's assignment. I said we waste our anointing when we want someone else's assignment. You've got to be where God placed you. A stay-at-home mom, quit looking at all the working moms and saying, "Why? Well, I wish I could be, I wish I was effective, I wish I was productive like them. I, I wish I could just go out and, 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 and bring home something for my family and, and, and be a, a working part. But while you are wanting their assignment, you're wasting your anointing to minister to the children that are in your house. We do this. The boss wishes that they could just be the employee for a day. And the employee wishes they could be the boss for a day. And and, and we look at each other comparing our behind the scenes to other people's highlight reels. You've heard us say that before. We compare our, our messed up stuff to everybody else's dressed up stuff. Amen. Amen. And so King Saul here is anointed by God to be the king. He's not out of position. He's not out of assignment. He's right where God has told him to be. But being where God has told you to be requires you to do what God has told you to do. Being where God has told you, has called you to be, requires you to do what God has told you to do. I mean, uh, uh, there's so many times that we get in where God wants us to be, but we're really out of place because our heart never got there. We got there physically, but the Bible says that the willing and obedient will reap the good of the land. 
I remember Kenneth Hagin telling a story one time when uh, he transferred out of being a, a, a pastor and went into traveling ministry by the command of the Lord. And as a pastor, he was taken care of. I mean, they had a parsonage back then. Uh, you know, the church would, had a home that they'd put the pastor in, had a good salary. I mean, you, you, you've got the consistency there. And now he goes out on the road per the word of the Lord. And, and, and he's, he's struggling. He's, and, and he's saying, look, God, you said that we would eat the good of the land. You said that we would eat the good of the land. You said the willing and obedient would eat the good of the land. And God said, well, you're obedient, but you're not willing. He said, don't tell me it takes you long to get willing. I got willing in five seconds and saw things turn around. Why? Because you can't just get there physically. You got to get there internally. Some of us want to put on the external look. We've got the robe and we've got the crown and I'm king, but we forget I'm submitted to someone else. And he doesn't just want my external stuff. He wants my internal stuff. If you're going to pay the price, you're going to pay the price in all capacities of your life. We, you know, this, this is the tough thing. I told our leaders one time, our team leaders, I said, you know, we, we have a tough job leading our teams in, in church because, number one, the, the, the incentives that I can give you are Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24. Do your work as under the Lord, not as under the men, unto men. I can't, I, I can't pay everybody here to, to do a, a job or a service within our church. It's just not possible, nor should I have to. But money talks. It's funny the things you can get people to do for money that you can't do for God. Money talks. And so I told our team leaders one time, I said, you know, we have a tough responsibility because we can't just hold our teams and our, and our team members, our greeters and our ushers and our sound team and our worship team and our children's and all the different capacities that make church work on a weekend. I said, you can't just hold them accountable for showing up. You have to hold them accountable for showing up with the right heart. See, the world can get away with that. The world can get away with with just getting you somewhere, regardless if you want to be there, regardless if you like it, regardless if you, you do it with a good attitude or a bad attitude. But in the kingdom, we can't short circuit that. If you show up with a bad attitude, I can't use you. Period. If you're back there on the board saying, oh, I just wish I could be on stage. Well, I, I could play an instrument, too. I think I can sing. They got me back here behind the scenes. Just, I can't use you. You're not here for just your external work of, of moving some knobs and buttons or changing some diapers. You are here to invest and pour into people. And you cannot give away what you do not have. So we, we have a pray for our team leaders because we have a hard responsibility. Pray for me as your pastor because I, I, I can't I, we, we, we can't short sell what, what, what people receive. From this place, because what we do here, what we do here is we meet an external need so we can plant an internal seed. We'll meet an external need of changing your child's diaper. But it's to plant the internal seed of ministry and of service to the kingdom of God. The external need of playing and playing an instrument and having someone on the stage that has a good sounding voice, that's just external. But the seed is planted internally. And if all we do is entertain you externally, nothing changes because the external impacts the internal. But now the internal should again impact your external.
I'll say that again. We meet needs on the outside in this church so that we can plant a seed inside of you. But because we plant that seed, now we expect you to walk back out that door different than when you came in. You came in cussing and you went out worshiping the Lord. You came in with hate and anger in your life and you walked out with joy and happiness. You came in here with a short temper and you walked back out knowing how to control the temper. That's that's what we do here. If we miss any of those aspects, if we don't engage you externally properly, that means if we don't have a nice looking place, if we don't have a a good sounding worship team, if we don't have uh, uh, individuals next door that know how to take care of your children and not just someone that can sit in a room and let them hang themselves upside down from the ceilings, someone that's going to pay attention. Someone that knows how to have, have some capacity to, to, to keep kids together and gather their attention and, and allow them to be developed in the word of God. Then we'll never get to plant the seed within them. But now because we plant the seed, I, I'll tell you right now, I, I can look at any farmer uh, in this room or, or that attends our church. When, when seeds are planted, they demand a harvest. Well, I hope I get some. No, so now I can say, hey, you know, you've been coming here six months. We're still struggling with that thing. Why? Because the seed's been planted. So I'm looking for crop. I'm looking for harvest because I need you to feed the world. I need you to reach Valdosta. Oh, you're the pastor. You're supposed to. No, 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 no. Five-fold ministry is given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. A church that demands that their pastor and leaders do all the work is a church that is paralyzed and will accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God. Period. And then it says, until we all accomplish the unity of the faith, the fullness and the mature measure of the stature of Christ. That's what the church is supposed to look like. So here we see that Saul has been assigned and Saul has been anointed, but His ability to lead is subject to his ability to follow. If he cannot remain submitted to God, nothing will remain submitted to him. So we got to recognize that there's there's a connection here. And he's trying to help Saul identify, I've got you where I need you to be, but I need you to do what I need you to do. This is the word of the Lord. Heed the words of the Lord. Well, there's going to be a cost. Sounds easy. Sounds simple. But as we move on down, as we get on further down here, in verse verse 8, 1 Samuel 15, verse 8, it says, And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, mm, worthless, worthless. But see, that word worthless was determined by Saul and his men. Not by God. See, that it's, it's, it comes to that level of worth 
again. When, when, when you pay a price or when you pay a cost for something, you ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Now, you may not literally stand there every single time you go to purchase something and say, is it worth it? Oh, yep, good. Is it worth it? No, nope, don't need that. But subconsciously on the inside, you look at the item, you look at the price tag, which means this is what it's going to cost me, and you determine, do the two meet? Because if they don't, it's not worth it. So you, you get what you pay for. And so King Saul is about to figure out, you get what you pay for. He's about to find out that you, you tried to strike a deal. You tried to bargain. You try to come to God and say, ah, you know, there's, there, there, see, see, this is the thing. Sometimes you don't, real, you don't really realize the value you have for something until, the, until you identify the value you have for something else. I'll say that again. You don't really recognize the value that you have for something until you realize the value you have for something else. And we don't do it intentionally. I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and say to you that we do it on purpose. But we say we value family. And we say we value being with one another. But we go to a restaurant and we're all on our cell phones at the same table. I do it. I'll be the first one to tell you I've done it. But I would call my son. I mean, if you ask me, yeah, I love my son. Sure. Yeah, I want to be with him. I want to spend, I want to pour into him. Okay, you just missed 30 minutes of eating a meal. See? We, 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 we say we value something, but then we find out that we really value something else. Because when you value something, something gets compromised. When you pay a cost, something is compromised. It's just a question of what are you willing to compromise? See, we would say, yeah, we, we, we love our marriages. But the activity that we do at night when no one's looking at the computer screen would say otherwise. So we, we, we value something else that causes us to question the real value we have for this thing. And so this isn't so much... See, when, when God sent King Saul to battle, he wasn't so much wanting him to wage war with the Amalekites as much as he was wanting him to wage war with himself. Because the thing that God really wanted to be utterly destroyed was Saul's will and Saul's flesh that God had continually had to compete with. Every time I send this guy to battle, he's doing his own thing. Every time I send this guy out to war, he's got his idea of what I think I mean when I say utterly destroy. My concept of utterly destroy apparently does not match King Saul's. Anybody had this battle with your kids? My idea of taking out the trash is not your idea of taking out the trash. My idea of going to bed is not your idea. And so we have a, a competing agendas. And God is consistently having this issue with King Saul. And so King Saul isn't so much trying to fight the Amalekites as he is he's fighting himself. 
Is he willing to pay the price? He even goes on down further. God comes to Samuel and he says, look, I'm done. I'm over it. I'm moving on. I'm finding someone else. And, and, And Samuel was so grieved that he stayed up all night long crying out to the Lord for Saul. But not even Samuel was going to change God's mind on this one. In verse 13, Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, then what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to him, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Why is God having to continually compete against your agenda? Why does he continue to send you out and you go out to do his work your way? Why do we keep misinterpreting what God wants done why do we continue to fail to pay the price because you got an individual that was more stuck on himself than he was accomplishing the mission of god through his life it's a rich young ruler this is what jesus would have been in for see here's the thing guys when you allow when when you allow people to buy in and compromise the mission then you will have to continue to repeat that behavior to keep them there. Whatever you do to get people is what you will have to do to keep people. See, on our our worship team, it is strictly forbidden that you live a life of, of, of drinking alcohol. Socially, individually, on your own, it doesn't matter. That's one of the first questions you will be asked if you want to join this worship team. We really uh, uh, have that standard across the board in every area in this church. And I don't get into the debates of, well, is it a sin or not? And how much is it? And, 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 and all the, the, the Bible questions of fermented, not fermented, and da-da-da. It's a standard that our church has set. You will not be on this stage if you drink Alcohol, period. End of conversation. And so what happens is, is that becomes a level to help someone identify, am I willing to pay the cost to be a part of that? It's a rich young ruler conversation. Go and sell all that you have. Because we say we value it until we realize we value something else more. Well, I want to be... Oh, I really want to be on the worship. I, I really think I could be an asset. I really, uh, this is something that God ha, has told me to do. This is something that God has placed on my heart. This is something that God has gifted me in. Okay, here, here's the standard. Here's the code of conduct. Here's what is expected of you. 
Here's how many times we're going to be at rehearsal. Here's, here, here's uh, when, when you're going to show up. Here's the time you're going to be at church. And I use the worship team because we really, we're, I mean, we're here a lot. Sundays, Wednesdays, we have rehearsals on Tuesdays. Then you're here earlier than everybody else. You work every single week, if you haven't noticed. All that's a, it's a group package. So if I if if I have someone that says, well, you know, I just that, you know that that, that drinking thing, man, that, that's, that's hard. Ah, you know what? Just as long as you don't drink in public, just, just don't just make sure you don't drink in public. As long as you're in your own home. If I make that compromise to get them there, I will have to continue to compromise to keep them there. Because now you've just set a pattern. You've just set a pattern of what they can expect you to do anytime their agenda bumps up to your agenda. And so God's putting it into it. He's saying, I'm not bowing. I'm not bending the, my agenda for Saul's agenda. You've got your will. This is my will. And you are in position that I've assigned you to. And you're in a position I've anointed you for. Period. So you're going to do it my way. This is God's conversation with him. Heed the words. Let me remind you. Because see, here's the thing. We don't tell someone, well, if you want to be a part of the worship team, then you can't drink. Because that's called religion. That's what the devil does. The devil says, to be a part of this, you have to become this. No, no, no. We say, because you are a part of the worship team, this is how we act. This is how we operate in our church. This is our expectation of you. So you're not following standards or you're not following someone else's agenda to become something. You're following someone else's agenda because you are something. I mean, we just saw this in, in, in our series. Uh, you know, we're talking about identity on Wednesday nights. If you're not coming on Wednesday nights, you're missing out again. I'm just telling you. You're missing out. We've been talking about identity. And we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where God created man, created Adam and Eve, male and female. He created them in the image of God. What did Adam and Eve have to do to become in the image of God? Nothing. Just live. Just exist. He created them. There was nothing that Adam and Eve had to do to become more like the image of God. Well, if I can just be more like the image of God. But then the devil shows up in Genesis chapter 2, or Genesis chapter 3. And he says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And the enemy is still getting Christians to eat fruit to become more of something they already are. Still doing it. Well, if you, if, you read, if you read enough scriptures, then if you go to church enough, and if you, if you talk about, and if you become, and no, no, no. We don't do works to become something. We do works because we have become something. And out of that flows a whole new lifestyle. And it's costing me my old life. I compromise the old to take on the new. Because God will not allow you to fill one hand with new life and the other hand with the old and live in his purpose. It will not happen. It will cost you. 
It will cost you your will. Following God's will will cost you yours. Following God's plan will cost you your plan. The Bible tells us many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I hope that I'm talking to a group of people this morning that are willing to lay down your agendas and your wills and recognize that, you know what? There are other things that I value, but I don't value this more than this. I don't value being right more than I do uh, uh, getting things right with my wife, with my spouse. I don't value uh, uh, my pride that I can't come to someone and say, I need you to forgive me. It's amazing the things that are realized that we value when we think we value something else. And so, skipping on down again to verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So Saul is saying, I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, I'm, I'm sacrificing. I'm making a sacrifice to God. I'm making him an altar. What's the problem? I saved all these animals so that we could kill them. I mean, you know sacrifices are the thing that God has commanded us to do. Go back to, to uh, when they came out of Egypt. Go back to Exodus. Go back to Numbers. Go back to Deuteronomy. God accepts sacrifices. What's the problem? I saved all these animals. And and in man's eyes, we think that that's equal to. We think that sacrificing something is the same as obeying God's voice. And God is saying, no, no, no. Does the Lord have as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He's showing the two. He said, here's what you brought. Here's what God asked for. Because here's the thing. The sacrifice that God really wanted was Saul. The sacrifice that God was really desiring wasn't animals, wasn't the best of the sheep, wasn't bringing the king alive. He wanted Saul. He wanted Saul. Samuel, later on, he messes up King Agag's life, ruins his life, chopped him into pieces, it says. As an image of what Saul should have spiritually done to himself. Paul used this term, crucify the flesh. Now, to us, again, that doesn't doesn't mean a whole lot. That that has a, a, a level of understanding. But when Paul said that statement to the individuals that he's writing to, when he said, crucify your flesh, there was an immediate depiction in their mind of what that means. Because crucifixion was no joke. You would rather go out any other way than be crucified. That was the worst way to die. That was the worst torment and the worst torture to put yourselves through. And that is how strong Paul wanted to depict us laying down our desires and our will for his crucified, utterly destroyed, hack it into pieces, that it doesn't even have an opportunity to come back to life. 
This is what God is asking for. This is what he's looking for. If we're going to pay the cost, if we're going to pay the price, we must recognize that the cost of disobedience far outweighs the price you'll pay in obedience. Worship team, if you come. There's a cost. And you know, sometimes what God has asked you for in past seasons of your life, sometimes that was an entry fee. (laughs) That was a down payment. That was a security deposit. Oh, but but, but God, you, you, you said that. No, this is what I'm asking for. If you want to go deeper, if you want to go farther, be ready to pay a higher price. And the higher price you pay, the deeper you'll go with God.